There we go. All right. So let's go ahead and read Exodus 24, verses 1 through 11 here. It says, Then he said to Moses, this is God talking, Then he said to Moses, Go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and bow and worship at a distance. Moses is alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with him. So basically what you have is they're standing at the, the, the base of Mount Sinai, saying, okay, you guys, you 74 people, you're going to come up to like the summit or close to it. Everybody else is going to stay here. You guys are going to be here. Then Moses is going to go talk to God on the very top, right? <clears throat> and so Moses came and told, all the, told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. And then all the people responded with a single voice, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bowls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins or bowls. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. Then he took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood and splattered it on all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet was something like pavement made of lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him, and they ate and drank. All right, so if you're just paying attention, and if you know you've been around long enough, you start hearing things that sound very similar to what Jesus says in, in the Last Supper. Right, they ate and drank. He says, here's the blood of my covenant, the covenant. Yeah, right. So we start seeing these similarities of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's why there is not, we have to make sure as Christians, this is kind of a decided way, but it's important. But these are not two different books. This is one story that's just kind of told in two different time frames. We have one, that's why it's in one book, right? All 66 books here, there's Protestants that have all this information in it. That the beginning is just as important as the middle and the end. And if we don't have the beginning part, we don't have the... The other part with Jesus doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we just think that Jesus came down and there's just a random happenings, but this is all mirrored that's going on, right? So here's our main idea part of this is, is God has not changed his covenant with us. It was always to be fulfilled by sacrifice, right? If you read through Leviticus, you know, a lot of times when you do your yearly Bible plan, if you do that, a lot of people think statistically, they say that people stop in Leviticus, they get bored of it, they get tired of it because it's all the laws it's all the stuff, it's all the sacrifices. But that's really the main point of that is that something has to be put to death and the blood has to atone for you and your sins. And so Jesus is just a fulfillment of that, of that whole thing to make everything whole again, everything in the world right again. And so we have this, if you look at your outline, the covenant is fulfilled by our understanding and by our obedience, and then it's ultimately, again, fulfilled, as, as the main point here says, it's fulfilled by blood. It's fulfilled by this. And so the first three verses, we're going to look at this. And so since we are skipping ahead, we, we stop at chapter 16. So chapter 17 and 18, God is guiding his people through the desert, through the wilderness, and he's getting them to Mount Sinai, right? He's getting them into this back to where, ex to, to where Moses was in chapter 3. Right, when he's out wandering around with the sheep. 
And so in chapter 19, they finally get to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, which is, you know, God's mountain, basically. In chapter 20 is where God gives them the Ten Commandments. And he says, remember, I am the, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, right? So he's, they just got out of Egypt. They just escaped. They've been wandering around for the desert for a couple months. They're not wandering, but walking through the desert. So he's like, look, I am the God. I'm your God. I, I've got you out of this. And so here, if you want to be my people, here's what I expect, right? So chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments, and then chapter 21 through 23 is a more, more uh, explanation or rules or laws that God expects, right? So, and those are, so chapter 24 brings us to what I, I call the enlistment ceremony, right? So this is one more day, we'll kind of stick with the, the military theme a little bit. But this is the enlistment ceremony that God is like, okay, look. Here you go. Because like when I joined the military, the Air Force, I was on delayed entry. So I, I actually, I took my first oath of enlistment in a sense in July, but I actually didn't go to basic training until March. And I had to do another oath, oath ceremony like right before I left to actually swear me in, right? So the one sort of counted, but I could get out of it. I guess doing some what a paperwork, I don't know, whatever it was, but I could have gotten out of it if I didn't want to join the Air Force. But once you take the final one, you're in. You're done until, until and other things have to happen for you to get out. Um, and so God is not forcing anybody to join his army as it is, right? to become one of his people. This is not compulsory. Is, he's not saying you will do this because I got you out of this. Right? Because I rescued you, now owe me something. God is not working that way. He doesn't, he doesn't try to guilt trip you in anything. He just says, this is what I expect. If you want in, you just got to agree. Right? And so each, each of us is free to accept these terms or not. And so everybody here has an understanding of what is going on because, like Mo, it said, Moses read it. And we're going to talk about it. Moses read it to them or he repeated it. Then he wrote it down. Then he read it again. So just so you guys are on the same page, right? So here you go. Here's what we're talking about and agreeing to. And so Moses goes up to Mount Sinai with a few others, and he receives the words from God, and then Moses brings down the word. And so Exodus 24.3 is this key verse for this section. And so Moses came down and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And so, unfortunately, the CSB kind of loses this, this idea because some of the translations say words and rules or words and law because this is important. Because the term words refers to the Ten Commandments. All right, so if you hear the Jewish people say the Ten Words, and if you've ever seen like the pictures of the Ten Commandments, sometimes they're just like little squiggles because they kind of wrap everything up in like a word. All right, so that's the words of God or the Ten Commandments. And then you have the laws, which is everything from chapter 21 and 23. So there's two different groups of things. And so the chapter, the first Ten Commandments are easy peasy. It's easy to remember, and all the other laws, again, go to support those Ten Commandments. And really, Jesus breaks it down into two, right? Love God, love your neighbor. So it makes it even easier. But the people heard and understood and acknowledged with their voice that they will follow God. And the army, if you ever watch a military movie, sometimes you hear people go, huh? Possibly, right? So huh, as H-U-A is heard, and under heard, understood, and acknowledged, supposedly what it stands for. But it's a way for me to say something. If I say, hey, we're going to go take this hill, everybody's like, huh? That means they're motivated, they understand it, they're ready to go. And so it's, my, it's a way for me to understand that you got what I said. Like you understand what I mean, what I want done, and you guys are ready to carry it out. 
And so that's what the people are doing. They say, yeah, we're good. We will do whatever God wants. Right? We will do everything the Lord has commanded. If it were only that easy. Right? Because it's good. It's easy to say that with our, with our brains and say, yep, I'm ready to do that. But then the first time God asks us to do something hard, we're like, wait a minute. That wasn't part of the deal. I didn't say I'd do that. But you said everything. Oh, everything means everything? Like, everything doesn't mean just everything you like. Right? Everything means everything. Because they understood the words, they understood the law, but not what, that we really don't know what it means. We really can't equate or, or, or account for everything that's going to happen. But we just have to trust God. Right? And so at this point, the people are united in their willingness to keep the covenant. It's something they did for the most part, however imperfectly, during the lifetimes of Moses and Joshua. Right? That's what one commentator says. He says, thereafter, unfortunately, this is really the rest of the Bible, thereafter, unfortunately, Israel kept the covenant only sporadically. Covenants must be endorsed not merely by the generation with whom they are first concluded, but with, must be reaffirmed through formal renewal commitments at each subsequent generation. The original assent so enthusiastically given here could not be expected to last without regular recommitment from generation to generation, and such recommitments were usually more lacking than not, judging from the infrequency with which they are mentioned in the text of First and Second Kings. Right? Our history, our memories only go so far, right? There's people that don't believe that the Holocaust that happened in World War II actually happened. And so there are organizations that are trying to keep these things in line or at least in the books and things like that because it cannot be erased because if it gets erased, it's going to happen again. Right? And, and, and it's not just that, but it's everything we do. And if you know, we kind of see everything that's happening with the woke culture, these things that are happening with all these stores and companies and things like that, where they're trying to go against God, they're forgetting what God said, or they're just completely ignoring it willfully of what happens. And you see the re repercussion of these things. You see what's happening and where society is going. We have to keep reminding people that there is a God and there are consequences for our actions for, for disobeying him. And as un unpopular as that may be, you know, again, it's not a scare tactic. It's just reality. It is what it is. And so we have to make sure we remember every single time. And we have to do it with ourselves first, right? That's why we do the Lord's Supper once a month. But so we remember what we've signed up for. It doesn't, it doesn't save us again. But it helps us keep in our, our forefront of our mind of what we're doing this for. This is not just to get into heaven. This is not just to be a good person. This is to follow God who saved us from our sins. As God says, I brought you out of slavery. Right? We're slaves to sin. And so he's doing this. And so we need to remember that each time. And so while the people here, the Israelites, they have to continue to sacrifice animals after their transgressions. Right? That's what the law is for. They're constantly doing that. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the final sacrifice, right? That his new covenant erased all the, the need for that, that continual sacrificial system. I read about it in Hebrews, read about it through the Old Testament or the New Testament, that that's, his is the last and final and best sacrifice. He cleans everything up. His blood saves you, saves me, saves his people. And even though we don't understand that, we understand that God's forgiveness covers all our sins. And that's the good news. That is the best news because we don't have to keep trying so hard to be good or trying so hard to please God. We just need to please God by 
keeping his covenant, upholding him and loving him and loving our neighbor. And telling people about him so they, if they don't know it, they can learn it and then they can remember it also. Right? And we can't fully understand or know what is going to happen in our lives, but God wants his people to understand what he expects. Right? He's very open and honest. We have it written down. We can read it. Oh, this is what's going to happen to you. Okay. Right? We know what's going to happen if we do follow and if we don't follow. And you know, when, when he comes to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the retelling of the law. And so Mo, Moses is basically reminding the people once again of what's happening because it's a whole other new generation. So we have to trust God even if we don't understand what is happening or when things don't make sense. And so Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. God does a lot of stuff in here that does not make sense on our level. From pouring, pulling water from a rock or making, you know, being resurrected or whatever else, dying for our sins. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense until we really start to think about it and say, well, God took care of it. God upholds both ends of the covenant. And so Paul tells the Philippians, he said, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So when we have the peace of God, we don't, we don't really care too much about, like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. And I'm not saying just to throw logic out the window, like, just completely, just whatever. I'm saying that you can go, well, that's what God's doing, and I've already thought through this, and I, go, I can't make sense of it, so God is working it out. And that's going to guard our hearts and minds because we're going, to stop, we're going to not try to jump to our own understanding like it says in Proverbs. And then John says in 1 John 5, 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one that is in his Son, Jesus Christ, and he is the true God in eternal life. And so the Israelites here, they didn't understand it completely but we have the key that is Jesus that unlocks all this ceremony. So all of this ceremony that was going on is a placeholder for Jesus' arrival. You know, thousands of years after this is written. And so we know, we, we get to have the key. We, it doesn't make us better, it just makes us better informed and, and we didn't have to wait. So we, Israelites probably had to have a little more faith, honestly, because they just were, they were doing it. And so grace, or God's grace was demonstrated through Jesus to make everything simpler. Right? Follow Jesus and trust in him and be obedient. So the second part of verses 4 through 7 is that the covenant is fulfilled by obedience. And so we see in verse 4 that Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So what we have here is the first recording of, of a larger part of the Old Testament. So this is, this is Moses writing this stuff down. And so the time passed probably for him to have to sit there and write it all out. <clears throat> but he works to record the covenant so that we can have it documented. So God and Moses wanted people from this day forward to be able to read and refer to the law. Because if we don't have laws written down, what happens? If I'm in charge, I can make up the rules. Right? We've probably all been like kids or seen our own kids do it where they start playing a game. And what happens? They change the rules halfway through. Why? Because they're losing. Right? Even if it's like, even if you agree to say, okay, we're playing to 10. But then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my mom said I have to go, so next goal wins. And I'm getting ready to score it. So, oh, look, I win, right? Because we, we've had friends like that. We, maybe we've done it before, too. Right? We don't, nobody, and nobody likes that. Nobody likes when we change the rules. And that's why you have people who comb through the law books because they know that something's wrong. That, that, 
it was wrong or whatever, and they write it down, they find out like, what people may saw the loophole, the loophole, but they say, oh no, this law is for this, not that. Because just like when we read the Bible, we, we hear something or it gets applied or it gets used a certain way, so we think that's right, even though when you start looking at the context, you say, that's 100% not right. But people who want to take advantage of people, they, they twist things or they don't tell the whole truth or they don't look at the whole word, the, 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 right? And it happens all the time. That's why we should know the law, know what's what. <clears throat> so oral traditions are important. Our oral traditions are important. They can help pass on the stories of a people. I just read this morning that apparently the Australians had some kind of uh, oral legend they would tell tourists, I guess, at this point that, that watch out for these, they called them drop bears. They're, they said there were these bears that lived in the trees and they would fall down on you and like jump on you and eat you. Well, this has been like a, an oral legend for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Well, the scientists have now found archaeological evidence of this type of bear that lived somewhere. It was like a, it was like a, they said it was more like a wombat, not necessarily a, a, a koala, more like a wombat than a koala, but it was just some kind of bear thing that, so the oral tradition was ahead of the scientific evidence that these bears existed. Because these people had lived and had these stories forever, right? So we, oral traditions are important. But oral traditions can be twisted a little bit or they can be forgotten. And so, right, so when I was doing some research for this, so one oral tradition surrounding Memorial Day, like how early did people start doing this, was that they think that the first Memorial Day parade was actually held by freed African Americans and other people in Charleston Namely, members of the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. So if you've seen the movie Glory, um, about one of the first black regiments in the Union Army, that's, what, that's the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. Um, that these people, they reburied a bunch of Union soldiers that got killed in Charleston, just got buried like a mass grave. So they actually took them out, reburied them in a national cemetery, and they had a parade around a racetrack, like a horse racetrack, um, to remember these soldiers that fought for them, to, for their freedom, and to preserve the Union. But that was oral history, and people were denying it. Right? The, the guy who was wrote, writing the story, he had to like dig into people, dig way down into history to find it, because it was trying to, trying to push and suppress. Right? So writing things down makes it permanent and standardized. Right? Because once you start writing things down, it's like, well, this is it. We have it now. Like, you can't just erase it, necessarily. You can delete it, you can throw it out, but somebody wrote it down and it's still there as long as somebody preserves it. And that's why we have the Bible, right? The writers wanted to make sure that they had something to refer to and pass on and read to new believers, right? That was part of the, when they were building, we'll just say building the New Testament or they're compiling what we consider the New Testament and the canon, one of the things was it had to be widely used by all the churches. So that's why we have some letters and not others because sometimes maybe Paul, maybe Paul wrote to Galita, Right, the city of the church of Galita, and it was just a letter for them about something, but nobody else got it. None of the churches up here in Santa Barbara County got it. So it was only used by them, so it doesn't go into canon. But if he wrote to Santa, if he wrote to Santa Maria, the church in Santa Maria, and he wrote this letter to everybody else, then that becomes canon because what he's telling everybody is important enough to be passed around. Right, and so that's why, that's part of the reason we have the Bible we have is because those were the things that were important. Those were the things that were useful for others. There's no, there's no try to suppress any messages or anything like that. 
like you want to time sometimes here in the press and oh the hidden I just saw there's been a hidden um, Bible verse or something like that but what it was is parchment was expensive so they would just rewrite they would try to erase it somehow and rewrite it so with technology they can look through all the layers and find this verse these Bible verses right but there's it's, it's stuff we already have so there's nothing new right but it's just what they did so just make sure that we under, understand as Christians there's no nefarious cabal trying to make a Bible say what it wants to, they want to say. Right? The Bible tells the story of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so they, he writes this stuff down and he rereads it to them. And so Moses conducts a sacrifice and he gathers all the people together to reread this covenant scroll that he just spent time writing. So Exodus 24, 7, he says, he then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people and they responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Right? So the same kind of sentence, the same kind of thing. It's hard to be obedient, though, if the rules keep changing. Right, we talked about it. And so part of the Reformation, part of what Martin Luther was, was irritated about was the fact that the Catholic Church only had Bibles in Latin. Well, guess what? In Germany, in the 15th, 16th century, very few, if anybody, people except for the, for the clergy spoke Latin. So guess what I can do? Turn to your, turn to your Bibles, First Chronicles, you know, chapter one, it says you should give the priests all your money. It says it right here in writing. Okay. Even though First Chronicles chapter one says here's the lineage of some so-and-so. I don't know because I don't know a name from a word about giving money or not. Right. And so that's what they were doing. They were, they were doing it. They were taking advantage of people. And so Martin Luther and other people started translating the Bibles into their own languages. Right, so the English, the English Bible was even done a couple, about a century before that initially. Martin Luther started writing it in German. And so it was a way to start going, wait a minute, that's not how it goes. That's not, right? That's why it's important for you to have, you should have your own copy of the Constitution. You can read it and say, this is what it says. And so in Exodus here, the people, though, they heard the words and they chose to obey what the Lord commanded they let the hearing of the word get into their souls and their heart, and they are ready to obey. And so we have the same thing going on in some cases, with, and we have better information because we have a fuller picture of what the Bible says and who it's about. Because it's not about the Israelites, it's about Jesus. About why we need Jesus. Because we can easily be replaced, we can easily replace the Israelite people. We could say, we are the people. <clears throat> and so Moses has written and reread Everything here, and it's a placeholder for Jesus' arrival. And so we, when we forget or we waver, we can refer to God's word, both in his written word and the living word of Jesus anytime we need to. Right? So everybody should have a Bible. We are, you can probably have 25 English version Bibles if you want, what I do, I think. And you can refer to it and read it. I mean, they're not all that different. It's just sometimes just how it's presented or worded. Um, but they all say basically the same thing. One may just say happy versus he was glad or he was happy. It's the same thing. You get it. And it's, no, it's no different. And when we read God's word, it should purify and burn away any sin we think we have or we want to commit. Right? It's like this fire that burns. Right? So as, as in the military, or even if you have suits, especially for guys, like one way to get rid of threads on your clothing, if you have like little threads, you use a little lighter. You burn it. And it takes it right off. But it doesn't... Well, it, you have to be careful. Don't, don't catch your shirt on fire. Um, or shoe polish. I had a friend who blew up his room. 
because he caught on shoe. He, he, he was melting the shoe polish because it makes a better shine. But he got a little too, he let it go too much and it like blew up. But anyway, but the fire will help you burn that off, right? That's what God's word is. It's a fire that can burn off the sin. And so First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says, Since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere, brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Right, that's why this book is applicable to your life today as it is back in their day. Right? It doesn't change. The stuff Paul was writing about, the stuff that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were writing about is the same stuff generally that we are going through on a personal human level regardless of the technology that we have. Right? Cars, they didn't have cars. Who cares? You don't need to have a car for this, certain things because we, God doesn't care about your car. God cares about your sin. And the, ab the absence of your sin. So that's why this book is applicable now as it was then. And honestly, probably even more so because we're getting into the last part of that where we're getting into some more fulfillment of prophecy. And so when we do that, though, when we start reading this, we apply the flame to our strings, our sins, right? This covenant, it's costly. Because right? if you do that, if you do it with a uniform, it takes time. You have to start examining yourself and going, wait. Because right, some of those little threads are very hard to see. Just like the sin, sometimes they're hard to see. But you have to start looking for them and root them out. And so this covenant is fulfilled by blood or by sacrifice. So verses 8 through 11. And so once the people swear their obedience, Moses takes the blood from the sacrifice and he sprinkles it on them. And he already put it on the altar. So altar represents the, the, the God and then the people sprinkling on, on the people. So the portion of blood in verse 6 that... Moses put in the bowls was for sprinkling on the people, as one commentator says. He says, it's a sign that they were the recipients of the advantage that the shed blood provided. Right? So this portion sprinkled on the altar was God signifying that he was the other party of the covenant. Right? Just like when you sign it, buy a house or whatever, you're signing all these papers. And so you have the buyer's signature and the seller's signature. So both, both parties know what's going on. And so since without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, and that's Hebrews 9.22, making a visible display of, of the blood from an animal killed for sacrificial purposes highlights for all to see the concept of atoning death. And such vivid reminders help the Israelites keep in mind the source and nature of their forgiveness and acceptance. God in his grace, as he allows the slain animal to substitute for the sinner, right? That's the important part. Based on the eventual perfect sacrifice of Christ, to which the Old Testament sacrifices point and upon which all Old, Old Testament sacrifices depend for their ultimate validity. Right? So we see this. This is what happened with Christ. He is our substitute. And God allows that to happen. And so if you ever cut yourself, you know, a lot of times I, sh I have to shave in the shower because if I shave like in the, just in front of the sink, I cut myself all the time in my neck. So if I have a collared shirt on, if I, especially if I have to wear a tie or something like that, I end up with like blood stains all over my collar. It looks horrible. And guess what? It never comes out, right? If you get blood on your shirt, it never comes out. Or you do some kind of witchy magic to make it happen, make it come out, right? Some kind of weird chemical. And that's with us having modern chemicals, right? Imagine being in the Israelites in the desert, like you're never getting it out. As he's sprinkling it on you, and again, it gets on your face, and even if you get it on your arms, I mean, they don't have showers and baths, and so it's going to stay there for a very long time. Every time they look at that, they're going to go, oh, that's the blood of, of the animal. That's the blood of the sacrifice. 
That's on me. That's what I represent. <clears throat> and so these are small reminders of the covenant that God made with them and that they made with God because they're saying, that, yes, I do. Yes, I am. And so they're sort of like semi-permanent tattoos that remind us of the covenant, the price that was paid for us to make us whole, to make us forgiven, and also the fact that I am in this covenant willingly. And so 24, Exodus 24, 8 says, Moses took the blood and splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. And so we see this, that 74 people ascended Mount Sinai to represent all Israel in the covenant meal. And so, you know, God wasn't going to feed everybody, so we have sort of the representation piece of this. But a special eating ceremony between parties to the covenant which, without which the covenant would not be understood to make them allies, friends, or kin. I think we talked about it before, right? When you had meals with people, you had to like have rules like, all right, no killing, right? No killing and no fighting, right? This is a truce. This is a peaceful, peaceful thing. We're doing this to show that we are allied together now, right? And so in the ancient world, and even now many places, even here in the modern world, people would not eat together if they were not somehow allies or family. Right? Inviting people over to your house to have a dinner is an important deal. You even going over to somebody's house is an important deal, is a bigger deal. Right? I'm trusting you not to poison my food. I'm trusting you not to feed me crazy stuff or whatever it is, right? because we're family or we're allies at least. So there's some idea of trust. And so this eating was understood to convey acceptance and declare approval of those with whom somebody dined. All right, so Jesus got some flack for the tax collectors and non-practicing Jews and other people that he had dinner with, you know, some people think it's an act of, their, of, of approval of their behavior. I think it was more of the fact that he was, a, he was bringing them in so they would hear the word. Like he's there, he's, a, he's not approving what they do, but he's approving them and saying you're included in, this, in the thing. But just like the covenant, you have to stop doing what you're doing. What, you have to agree to what God says. So eating a formal meal was, with others was understood to demonstrate mutual agreement, cooperation, acceptance, and respect. <clears throat> and as Christians going forward, right, we are not just sprinkled by any animal's blood. We don't do that. We are covered by the lamb's blood, just like with the Passover. And Jesus, is, Jesus was obedient to God the Father in the fullest. When he died on the cross, that's what he demonstrated. He demonstrated his obedience to God the Father. And so 1 Peter 1, verse 2 says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? He was there. He was there at the Last Supper. He was there for all this. In his letter, he tells like, look, we tell you this because we knew it. We were there. We lived it. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so if you're called by God and you're like the people in Exodus who accept this covenant to obey God and have him take over your life as both your Lord and Savior, then you are now one of his people. Right? That is the good news. You are now not an enemy of God. You can eat the meal with God because you're not an enemy. And so when, before Jesus went to the cross to shed his blood for his people, he had one last meal with his closest followers. And so this is what we call the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. And so by, by partaking in this meal that we're going to do in a minute, you demonstrate mutual agreement and cooperation and acceptance and respect to God as well. All right, so I'm going to read 
We'll read Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. Then we'll pray, and then we'll have everybody pass out the elements. And so this is the last supper that, that Matthew records. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take it, eat, and this is my body. Then he took a cup, gave it, after giving thanks, and he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit from the vine from now on until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to Mount of Olives. Let's pray over the elements, and then we'll have the guys pass it out, and then we'll do this again. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacrifice, for making the new covenant in your blood, that you are the last final great sacrifice for us and our sins, for, for full forgiveness of everything we have done and will do. And please let us remember your death and your sacrifice and the, the gift you've given us, uh, that we can endure and uh, Endure this world every day, and we can look to you when we get weak. And so all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so a couple guys come up and pass out the elements. Matthew records, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take it and eat this. This is my body. And they ate the bread. And he took a cup, but after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And they drank the wine. Again, we do this in remembrance of the oath that we took, that we take when we become Christians, when we say we're saved, and also to remember the sacrifice that was paid. Somebody else paid for your freedom. Right, both as Memorial Day rolls around, we know that people paid for our freedom. Some of them may be friends, family, and we know that Jesus is friends and family to us. And so he paid his life for us as well. And so I'm going to close in prayer here for this with uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. 
He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. This is the stuff that was in the previous verses that he wrote. So if you read it, I remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. He wants us to be remembered. And so God, please help us remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid, his, the price of, of his life for us to make us whole. And please help us tell the story and help remind others as well. Uh, when, when things get tough or times we get weak, that we can rem remember the price that was paid for us to, to bring us into, the, into your fold. And as we go out this week, please help us uh, with this. And please keep, help us keep our eyes on you. It's all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, I'm going to try to stall for a minute, I guess. Oh, here we go. All right, so we'll transition. So if you guys want to stand, we will...